I didn't feel any pressure if I can I can be honest about that I didn't feel any pressure at all I felt it was a huge privilege um, and I, I, I felt that um, it would be a huge opportunity again in a way that I couldn't quite quantify at this stage um, for a younger generation looking up to our professions. Hello and welcome to For The Record, a new podcast series from RCVS Knowledge. For The Record will feature conversations between current and former members of the veterinary professions, highlighting voices and experiences historically underrepresented in our official archive. In our first episode, we hear from Mandisa Green, current president of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, in conversation with Amanda Bogue, RCVS president from 2018 to 2019, and new Chair of Trustees for RCVS Knowledge. Together they discuss what made them want to become vets, what drove them forward in their careers, and why they champion diversity. Hi Amanda. Hi Mandisa. We should probably chat about some of the, chat about being a vet. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess we are, between us, the eighth and ninth female presidents of the college, which... um, quite uh yeah quite astonishing to think of really it was wasn't something I ever really thought I'd do when I was back as a vet student so I don't know about you whether it was a sort of something that you had as a got to do that so no 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 I, I certainly I certainly never um had any ambitions to be um the president of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons and and certainly hearing that we're eighth and, and ninth in a 175 year history um yeah. also feels very interesting um they're such small numbers yeah yeah and particularly over the last you know i think so 100 years ago you know women couldn't even be vets well over yeah for the first 75 years of the college's history it was hardly surprising but yeah. but yeah considering it's been 175 years now when women have been able to be vets for a significant proportion of that time it does feel like a very a very small number a yeah. very small number yeah absolutely but what about you what, what was it that made you want to become a vet in the first place did you have any female role models I guess as as a, a school kid so I guess the, the the one role model that I have that I have to give credit to would would have been my my mom. So she was the the first person in my life who um you know really cared for animals and and did so in a really compassionate way um that made me well exposed me to a lot of animals. So we had animals around us all the time and um just experiencing being around animals and and you know they they the joy I felt when I was able to interact with them just gave me a very early on before I could even have vocabulary for it um, a feeling that was good that I wanted to follow through yeah. to the next level um, and so when they asked me what I wanted to do with my life and I said well look after animals that that's it um, they were very my parents were very supportive but you know again my mom especially being the person who really had wanted to be a vet when she was younger so held right. to this um, as a okay well I, I know all the things you need to do to get there so I'm going to help you do that because obviously you, you know you speak to lots of clients as you as you go through life and a lot of people have the story of I wanted to be a vet when I was younger and and not not all of them um were able to do so and and so to be the child of somebody who wanted to be a vet when she was younger and I think she my my mom definitely felt um she really 
took it on as a, a mission to help me see through um, a dream that she didn't quite fulfill. So, yeah. Oh, I didn't know your mum wanted to be a vet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she did. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, what what stopped her? Was it just not feasible? Was it exam? Because I know my my uncle wanted to be a vet actually, and ended up not doing it because he couldn't pass his French O level with a high okay. enough grade, which was a requirement back in the fifties, I think. Gosh. So was it? So he ins- he was one of the people that inspired me. But um, was there something? Yeah. Can... Yeah. Well, I I think for my mom, she she got as far as getting into vet school. Um, oh, and oh, yeah, wow. she she wow. applied to vet school, got into vet school, and um, at that time they needed to uh, fees. School fees were still a thing. Right. <laughs> vet right. fees. And um, she okay. needed to to um have all her fees, and and they would accept um the deed to her parents home as guarantee as a guarantee for her bank for her loan to to go to school um but her parents refused um to sign their deed over because they weren't sure what she was going to do after and of course in those days it was kind of well you're you're a a woman so you might get married after and give up your career and then you know and then this is our thing to deal with so they they didn't feel that they could support her to that level so yeah yeah, yeah. So she got quite close to achieving it, and I think definitely, you know, definitely wanted it. It wasn't something that she thought of and and didn't, didn't follow really through. Pursue, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh wow, it's amazing the stories, and not I mean not that long ago as as well either. And you know, I, I actually I can remember at school there was a, a so I was brought up in a Yorkshire farming community, so quite traditional, and there was a, a girl who was about three or four years ahead of me at school who really wanted to be a vet um but her dad was a, a dairy farmer and he just said no mm-hmm. um and she went off to be a dentist in the end so a sort of mm-hmm. a related profession but it's it's not that long ago that I guess that some of these barriers were very yeah evident I guess yes yeah yeah, yeah. <sighs> probably sadly still are in some in some environments yes 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 I imagine I imagine and I, I think really thankfully because my mom had that experience she was really determined, really determined to to make sure that I if 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 it was what I genuinely wanted that she would support me all the way to the finish line so yeah she must be so proud of you yeah yeah I think she is yeah, yeah <laughs> most days <laughs> <laughs> well you know I think as mothers we can both both readily being proud of our children every day all the time might be an unachievable dream absolutely (laughs) um, hey ho (laughs) um and again and so so was as you were going through vet school and um and, and coming out the, the other side, I guess, as a, a newly minted vet, were you, was it was it what you were was it what you expected? Did you? Yeah, I think I, I think I had very little expectations of what it meant to be a vet. So I had been exposed mainly to quite a lot of small animal um, vets, um, but also some equine and some uh, farm and. I think that the one thing that you, you can't really connect um, when you're in vet school to the moment that you actually become a vet is how that's going to feel. So you can look at people and you can see, um, you know, sometimes some decisions weigh in a vet's mind. Sometimes they, they seem to be relatively happy. You know, they have their zone, the things that they love more than anything else. So some like surgery, some like 
medic yeah. medical mysteries and so you can you can see all of that but what you can't really connect until the moment that you become a vet is how it's going to feel um for you and 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 which bits you're going to find more challenging and what's going to bring you more joy yeah. and and stuff like that so i think i, I didn't really when I became a, a, a minted vet, I, I don't think I, I could really connect um, to any of the experiences I had had previously um, going into f in, in the run up and all of the, the vets that I had seen. But um, it certainly felt much better than I could ever have imagined it would have. So I think that that's the one good thing. But how about you? When did you when you became a, a vet? Um, did it? What, what did it feel yeah like? it was I can I can distinctly remember the feeling on the day of graduation of this sort of like wow they're actually gonna let me treat animals like they this amorphous they that <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. now I'm and so I can remember this sort of sense of um yeah just wonder in a way because it had been something I'd wanted to to do and I'd, I'd kind of I guess probably from an early teenager been pretty set on 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 becoming becoming a vet and and so to have gone through that and then got into vet school and gone through vet school and finally got MRCVS letters was a really, really, really special, special moment. And just like, oh, wow, actually done it. But then, yeah, I think you're right. The sort of the reality of then having that responsibility um, and, you know, the, the learning curve in those first few weeks, particularly, I mean, you obviously learn very, very quickly, but um, the, the, I guess that sense that having been a student, even though I'd done, you know, plenty of, you know, injections and so on as a student, actually then taking responsibility for that and actually taking responsibility for that patient once I was qualified felt very different for the first few weeks. Mm. So I can still remember the the first vaccine I gave, which was just completely routine. And if I'd been a student and had another a qualified vet, basically having that responsibility I wouldn't probably wouldn't have thought twice but actually feeling that sense of responsibility of could I have missed something could I have yeah. was um you know you can't really feel that until you have to yes. <laughs> so so that's I mean it it, it 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 never disappears completely but I think it feels it feels better quite quickly but I can remember that sense very very much very, yeah very much. so did you start in small animal or yeah I, I did I mean I was as I said brought up in in Yorkshire, um, in a, a fairly small village. I mean, my my parents w weren't from a farming community, but it was a, a pretty small um, village that I that I was brought up in. Where, when I was a little girl, there was still a farm in the middle of the village that we used to walk past on the way to school. Um, so I kind of one of the reasons I wanted to become a vet, I think, was that I liked that sort of concept of mixed practice, and I think in my head one of the things I'd thought was that it would be a very flexible career for mm. um for a woman to be able to live wherever she wanted and mm. potentially you know move with family and so on um although it hasn't worked out that way at all but I think going through vet school um I really enjoyed everything but I kind of felt oh my goodness I can't possibly be good at all of this it's mm. such a breadth of, of of areas so um for me I think as you said you almost don't know what you enjoy until you're actually starting to get into it so so during my final year I kind of thought well I'd really like to focus on an area and initially just a species area 
um, and and develop my skills and expertise in that area. And ultimately, I I, I dabbled with farm because I really enjoy farm work. And I thought about applying. Well, I did did apply for a, a calf pneumonia. I looked at a calf pneumonia PhD, but I also looked at small animal internships. Mm. Um, and and ultimately um, was offered a small animal internship and took that as my first job. Mm-hmm. which set, set me off on a, a, a great path and, and not, not one regret. Um, I'm afraid horses didn't really get a look in. I had a, <laughs> I had a bad experience where it took me a very, very long time to take a shoe off a horse during my equine rotations. And I think I was, <laughs> that um, uh, made me feel that, um, uh, yes, uh, being a horse vet was not, w- wouldn't be for me. It's, it's funny how little things like that can have such I a big know. impact. I know, I know. It is the little things, though. When you yeah. look, oh, you yeah. look back on, on, I think I look back on my life and even positive and, and negative experiences, it always tends to be the very little things, not the big things that, that have made the difference to yeah. kind of how you feel going forward about, um, yeah. in your mind about a, a particular thing or issue or time of your yeah. life. So, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you went straight into small animal as well. I did, yeah, I did. I, I went to small animal in a mixed animal practice. So I kind of, I, I said when I went there that I'm taking this job as a small animal vet, but I would quite like to be a mixed vet at some stage. Um, because again, I had the, the the very romantic idea about being able to be very flexible and, and doing all animals and, and really genuinely loved farm animal um, and, and felt that I had a future there. But um yeah, life just started <laughs> before you know it. There's 10 years later, 11 years later. Um, but yeah, w- without regret, uh, I do love uh, small animal. Um, but I think as probably I'm not the only person who started with the idea that I would swap at some stage, but it never quite um, happened. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is interesting how, as you say, careers and decisions can evolve on really quite small, small moments. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so how how did you how did you decide to get involved with with the college then? Because I think I I was the same. It wasn't something that I kind of um, felt strong. You know, I was you know I built my career as um, you know initially small animals, but then focusing on emergency and critical care um, as a, as a sort of a specialty area, and hadn't really thought about the college council or the more political side of vet life. So what was it? It sounds like you were similar. <laughs> it wasn't sort yeah. of you didn't leave vet school with this burning desire to be where you are now. But uh, so what, what was it that, that sort of nudged you along that path? Yeah, I think I, I started becoming curious. Um, so about four years graduate, after, after I graduated, I started hearing the term RCVS more often in conversation. So it kind of only came up in conversation with regards to paying fees. Um, and then that was that was kind of where it, it ended. And I started hearing it more in conversation. And I think I, I was very curious as to how um, the rules were made in the code of conduct and, and how um, people, how things were decided. I think I, I, I really wanted to know more. Um, and but still never thought I could be a member of council. I think that was something that I thought was for other people, not for me, um, and never really pursued it or thought anything of it. And then in through many conversations, including um, one I eventually had with you, um, I 
you kind of laid it out for me in a very simple way. It, you just have to do a biography and a manifesto, and that's it. And I, I, I was like, well, but is that is that all? And you, yes, that that's it. So, <laughs> and really simplified and and demystified, I think the the process for me, which I had, I I wasn't sure what it involved or, or what it took, and um. And then, so yeah, I just put myself forward for election, yeah. um, and I didn't even genuinely did not know anything about it all. I kind of thought, well, there's an election, and and you've got to vote for one person, and then someone said, no, it's six. And I was like, <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so I think I think, yeah, I um got in um and 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 served on the standards committee straight away which i think was really useful because that's kind of where uh, the code of conduct and 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 the guidelines and and guidance sorry is, uh, and all of that stuff is discussed and i think that was really helpful for me um to get a better understanding and once i got in i really started to um, enjoy it. I enjoyed the conversations. I, 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 and I felt they were really relevant to my day-to-day life in practice. Um, and yeah, so it made me want to stay. I think what, what I do really well at, at times is to follow what, what makes me feel, um, happy. And I think being uncounseled made me feel happy not in a a laughing giggling way but in a way that I felt that I was doing something that mattered um, and something that was useful and something that I enjoyed doing so having conversations that I enjoyed doing debating things that that I knew potentially not a lot about to start with but then got more information and getting different perspectives I think that that's really what made me enjoy it all um so yeah that's how I got on how about you how did you I mean, similarly, I think probably spent the first the first 10 or 11 years of my career were working in academia and doing my specialist qualifications and then working in um, uh, yeah, one, the, the Royal Vet College's referral hospital at Hawkshead. So I think the RCBS, yeah, you're right, seemed quite remote. It was I paid my fees and you had to do my CPD. Um, but actually, as a junior academic, it didn't really impinge on my I was wasn't really forefront of my mind and then I, I took up the role of clinical director as, as vets now which was obviously at that point quite a young business um, working in an area uh, out of hours care where there was um, it was a new business model a new way of delivering veterinary services it's obviously very well established now but at the time was was still quite young and I think then I was exposed to the college in a different way and I really did have to start thinking as you said about those those rules and how they were applied in a much more real world everyday part of my everyday life um, and again I thought you know this is something I want to get involved with I want to um, you know I really care passionately about emergency and out of hours care and I think it's a really important part of delivering animal welfare and serving the public and that sort of seemed to fit with with the college's mission um, but alongside that I kind of felt you know we would have complaint letters and I'd be kind of like this is so frustrating and then I kind of thought right okay if you you know rather than sitting and saying this is frustrating <laughs> this these rules I'm going to get involved because um, I I guess like you I like I like making a difference I like feeling that what I'm doing 
I like contributing in a positive way. So when I see something that I think needs to evolve and develop rather than um, sitting moaning and getting cross internally, I'd rather get involved. Um, and yeah. so I really wanted to get get involved with the college. Um, and I said, yes, yeah, stood for election, did do. I stood for election. It was interesting. The first time I stood was when I was um, six, seven months pregnant. Mm. with well no actually it was before so when I stood it was about four months pregnant so I I found out I'd got elected when my younger daughter was three days old oh, gosh <laughs> so so did uh the initial um yeah election communications and so on whilst heavily pregnant and I can I can remember this was I guess one of the areas where diversity comes in I can remember being asked explicitly um wait, are you sure you should be standing for election when you're just about to have a baby? Oh my <laughs> just, I know, I know. Oh and, um, you know, how will you how will you manage? How will you manage? You're just about to have a baby. How will you manage on college council? I can and I can remember, I can actually remember it really clearly because I was sitting on the sofa sort of fuming about the fact that anybody even asked that. Yeah. But um, I tried to respond in a very uh, kind of open way. It was my, she was my second daughter. I kind of Help, you know, been had a busy job whilst a, a mother, but I it 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 just kind of brought home to me some of the maybe some of those structural discrimination elements that yeah. um, that that you, you you can become exposed to um, as a woman that probably in the earlier part of my career I hadn't even even clocked, uh, but then you know being asked that question was um, a bit of a kind of a well. What relevance is that? I've thought about my life. I know I can how I'm going to manage my life. I've always done what I've said I'm going to do, and not yeah. so. So, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> didn't quite respond. I didn't quite respond that way, but um, I tried to respond very calmly. But um, it was it was interesting that that was even even asked. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I can. I. 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 Even though it's what eight years ago would have been eight yeah. years ago i i still yeah. feel that i still feel yeah. few i'm still fuming for you <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe somebody would ask that and yeah. immediately i thought i wonder if uh one of our male colleagues was expecting yeah. a new arrival to their family if they would be asked that question yeah. and, and that we feel free to ask a female that question um it, it's quite telling isn't it about society yeah. in general yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was one of those, um, I, I don't know how you and Hector interact, but it was one of those things on, on Royal College Day when the day I became president about oh, towards the end of the afternoon, my husband came up to me and was like, oh, I'm, I'm getting really cross. And I was like, oh, oh cool. what's going on? And he was like, the number of people that have come up to me and said, how are you going to manage with mm. the children this year? Mm. And I just know that if it were the other way around, they wouldn't be coming up to you and asking that question um, and it's that sort of those you know it's it's not it's not directly saying you're you're not capable but it's it's the little it's the little the little subliminal messages that that sort of those sort of questions which are often well-intentioned but um but actually subliminally then makes you think well maybe i shouldn't be doing this maybe i should be absolutely <laughs> yeah, that sort of little absolutely can can quite strong to ignore those voices of self-doubt absolutely i think you're absolutely right um which i guess we all have but it's easier to um ignore those questions if you were um if you've got the support of everyone around you as opposed to people going oh are you sure you should be doing that yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah so so you you were president 
in your second term is that right yes that's that's right yeah yeah so i think similar timing to you actually yeah probably yeah yeah it will be exact same Uh, yeah 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 yeah. it'll be similar timing yeah yeah so um what does being or what did being rcps president mean to you i think it was uh and it, it meant a huge amount to me um i uh as i said it wasn't something that i set out to do within the profession and even when i joined council it wasn't something i had sort of um in any way sort of consciously thought that's where i that's what i want to do i think it's just i said when you get involved and you try and contribute positively to difficult discussions and then people ask you to do stuff and then you want to you spot more challenges and issues and you continue contributing then all of a sudden you're like oh um, but it was, I mean, it's, our professions are, are wonderful. I mean, the, the, I think this is where I actually feel, feel for you being uh, president in the time of COVID, actually, that one of the things I really enjoyed was chatting to so many people. And although you mm-hmm. can do that by Zoom and Teams, um, the opportunity to meet and remind myself of just how broad and, and wonderful our profession and our veterinary nursing colleagues profession is was 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 just ex- was was such a privilege such mm-hmm. a privilege um and you know the the fact that all the people you know the vast majority of people i chatted to you can have different views but everyone cares passionately about animal welfare and the profession and the reason that they may hold well that we all hold our views is that you believe in and what you're saying and um, yeah. I think that that is it was such a privilege to to you know meet and chat to colleagues from you know from the highlands and islands of Scotland mm-hmm. um, through different parts of the industry um, like the, the pub, more the public health side the educational side you know just really reminding myself about just how just what a broad broad group of professionals we are and just what an important job we, we do do so it was a huge privilege a huge privilege um, I hope I got some conversations started I think one of the things I said was I would want us to be having difficult conversations including about diversity within the profession and I I um, wanted to state that quite clearly at the beginning of my year I didn't probably achieve as much as I would have liked but you know you ha- we all have to also mind that was something that was really important to me but also you know difficult discussions around um, the way that society's evolving and you know a lot of the discussions around you know modern technologies and how they integrate with the profession they're really hard discussions but I think they are discussions that we have to have um otherwise we'll end up you know being um uh not left behind by society that's too strong a word but we we need to be we need to be always looking forward and that can involve having some some tough discussions with strong views but that's the way as long as that's always done respectfully and recognizing that other people's views will be coming from a good place even if they're different to yours then that's that's how that's how we move forward so so yeah how about you it's so it's very different year for you with um covid which um yeah, I'm sure you are still meeting a lot of people, but I'm sure it's maybe not quite as interactive having to do it all by, by remote means. Yeah, but yeah. What does it mean for you? Well, yeah, it's it, interesting that you're saying about having, you know, difficult conversations and, and really about embracing things now, having conversations having conversations now that are going to affect our future. Um, because 
I think I'm as just as an individual, this is me, I'm always looking to the future. I'm always looking to see what the future is going to be, um, what it, what challenges might arise, what um, I need to prepare for. And I think certainly in terms of our professions, um, one of the things I, I have been able to do being having all the, the background information whilst I sat um, in, on, in council and in different committees over the last um, six years um, have been to get a lot of the background information, but also take an eye to the future and to see, um, you know, have a look to see what the future could potentially hold for us in terms of benefits and also challenges. Um, and so I guess it, it's a huge honor and a huge privilege um, to be um, the president of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. And also there is no I don't think that we can we can at this stage of our um, of time really quantify what being the first black president will mean to the future generations, um, and and so that is something that's really special and valuable. But also, I think for me as an individual, part of leading these conversations about what the future is going to mean for our professions, what we can do to make it better, what's going to be challenging for us, um, and how we can shape it so that we can, it, our professions can still exist and thrive, um, is part of why I wanted to, to be president. So this is just all, um, I, I certainly didn't, didn't plan for a pandemic, um, but it, it's, it's, you know, and, and so I, I've, I, I will miss out all of the things that I, I was told that were really wonderful about meeting, um, you know, all all of the, the members of our professions and, and public. Uh, but I think I it's just like I was saying before about being a vet. I don't know what it was going to feel like, so I don't know what I've missed out on in a way. I think yeah, I'm yeah. just really looking to the future and, and, and trying to make sure we have those or trying to facilitate some of those conversations um, that will help us to a, to a better future. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'll you, you mentioned those that we've talked a little bit um, earlier on about the fact that we're both women and the eighth and ninth women. Yeah despite the college being 175 years old and yes. women having formed a majority of, or at least 50% of graduates for quite a long period of time now. Mm -hmm. But yes, you are in addition, the first black president as well, yes. which must feel, well, it's, it's an amazing um, opportunity to be that role model, but it must feel, do you feel pressure coming from that as well? Or do you, how do you feel about it? Because it is an amazing, amazing achievement. Yeah, yeah, I think, I. I I think I didn't feel any pressure if I can I can be honest about that I didn't feel any pressure at all I felt it was a huge privilege um, and I, I, I felt that um, it would be a huge opportunity again in a way that I couldn't quite quantify at this stage um, for a younger generation looking up to our professions yeah. um, and so that that was important to me um being a mother of two young children um it's important that role modeling is important generally full stop um but for them to see um what their mum could become um was important and that's just two boys um we're not talking about the rest of you know yeah. of 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 
not just children, but a generation, the university students and looking to our professions and seeing the person occupying the presidency of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons looks like me or comes from a background, you know, similar background than as I do. And I think that's really important. Um, And yeah, we'll we'll be able, history will be able to let us know what it did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. As you said, I think it sounds like your mum was a really significant influence on you achieving that. And I'm sure, as I say, she must be incredibly proud of you. But were there other strong influences that um, you feel have supported you to, 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 you say, I think you use the phrase, you know, you can't, you can't, can't be what you can't see. And, and to a certain extent, as the first black woman president, you haven't seen it before. So what were the... <laughs> What were those influences that allowed you to to feel that you make that step and be successful? Because as as you are, yeah, I think that there were there were quite a few people in my life, and and if I name them all, it would be I would miss someone out. Yeah, so yeah, there were so sure. many people all along the way. I think certainly on my council journey, you were one of the people who was huge. You were hugely impactful um, in my taking more um, courageous steps uh, in my council life. I think I was quite happy to just be on council. I got there. Yeah, I'm on council. <laughs> um, and I think you were one of the first people who, who introduced me to the idea of chairing a small group and you said yep. well, why don't you chair this group and I, I thought oh I get to chair something that's really <laughs> exciting um, and yeah. so again you being able to um, look to me and, and and maybe see that there was potential for something more and encouraging me to do that and also supporting me because you didn't just say well go ahead and chair it and, and get on with it I remember you kind of sharing with me your method of chairing and and what you felt was really um, useful to get out of a meeting and and how to get conversations moving and and to be inclusive and so you were really really um, not just making room for me but you you also supported me to that role and I think once I was able to sit in in roles like that that I never quite thought I could before never even dreamt of it um and knowing that seeing that I could do it once I I was in it um that made me think well okay then I can do something more and I could I make a shoot for that or I could ask to be on that and so I I think certainly in my council um career I I really could not um your your role in in my journey I think has been really very significant and yeah thank you for that oh well well, you don't don't have to thank me yeah (laughs) the least I could do I'm just I'm so yeah as you know delighted that you are you are doing the role and doing it really well and having these conversations because I think that is that is um so so super super important yeah yeah and I guess I what that might lead me to ask you is in at which stage did you um look around in a room be that a consult room boardroom meeting and and think that um this didn't quite look or feel um as inclusive as it could possibly be oh that's a good question do you know um that's a very good question because i 
Um, I think my, I, I guess, probably more recently, I actually actively try and think that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, really, in the last, probably, I mean, I've, I think I've had a, a real journey in terms of my understanding of feminism and also racial racial equality that I would think back, you know, in the early part of my career, I probably didn't even look around the room and think about it. It was mm. just the way it was. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, incredibly white. Um, and probably a lot of meetings I've been to over the years uh, have been male dominated within, mm. you know, within work contexts um, with a smattering of women, but definitely male dominated and and certainly very 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 white and I think probably I didn't even think about it which is a Mm. shameful thing to say in a way but it was it was just sort of the way it was for probably the first 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 half of my career and I think I would almost you know I I look back says well I would have I wouldn't have said I was a feminist for the first you know until I was probably into my 30s because I was kind of raised you know by parents who thought I could do you know, taught, gave me the confidence that I could could do anything I chose to do, and also that I should treat everybody the same. Mm-hmm. So I think that probably, um, and I've 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 learned since that time. But you know, I guess again, probably at the same time, I would have said I wasn't a feminist, and I would have said I was colourblind. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, you know, I I guess I've I've um, evolved as a person and and read and you know learnt more. Uh, and I think that's that's not an un- a nasty view in any way but it's quite naive mm-hmm. um and i think as time has gone on you know i've recognized you know that you know when i joined council it was very older male white dominated and i think that was probably around the time that i started to really have a more conscious assessment of that and yeah. recognize that actually if we wanted more women in leadership roles and if we wanted to have a more racially diverse veterinary community then we actually did have to take note of that and we couldn't just um sort of accept it which I think I'd I'd almost done to that point and also you start to recognize more of those um subliminal low-grade messages that I think you know I've been exposed to as a a woman and you know I'm I'm white so I I can't speak for the racial diversity angle but I'm I I'm sure, and you know, through talking to you and other other colleagues who are non-white, um, I know you experience a whole different range of, of subliminal messages that I just don't see. So, so it's it's I probably didn't even think about that till about yeah, probably around yeah five ten years ago. But then increasingly, I recognise that we have a responsibility, um, particularly those of us in leadership roles, to to actually recognise that and actively try and do something about it, rather than kind of go, oh well, I. I didn't experience direct discrimination. I, I'm, you know, I haven't seen that. So I'm where I am. So, so there is a level playing field because, you know, realistically, if there were a level playing field, then either we would be more racially diverse and more gender diverse in terms of leadership roles, or we're saying that, um, people yeah those pe- people don't deserve to be in those places mm. yeah, that's that's the message that goes so so yeah so really good question and yeah I think reflects probably the fact I didn't think about it is is um yeah yeah it, interesting to me now as a in my mid-40s looking back yeah. to, the, to the younger me that I yeah. probably didn't 
remark on it earlier. I don't know. How about you? Yeah, no, I, I think, I, you know, I, I can completely understand that. And I think, especially when you're starting your journey in your career, you're very focused on your needs and your issues. And it takes you to get to a certain level to kind of be able to have that moment of pause and look around to the room and think, this doesn't quite reflect what I'm seeing outside of this room. So what what's going on and what can I change? But I, I can completely understand that because I do think certainly, um, you know, once I once I started my career, it wasn't something I thought of at all. Um, I just wanted to get working to be a vet, be a good vet, yeah. be a better vet. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of kept on that that space and, and really you tend to accept what society shows you yeah, you can't yeah. accept what, what's in front of you yeah. so it, it took me a, a while to be able to stop and kind of look at the room and, and think what else can we do to include more voices um yeah and i wanted to ask you as well because i know in your presidential year you brought the conversation of diversity um to the professions which i am very grateful for because i i do think sometimes it takes someone else to make room for that conversation sometimes um it's almost taken as a given that diversity will be one of the things that i will want to um you know champion um but when you said it 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 made it kind of almost it, it, you made space for it in, in your agenda, um, which you didn't have to do. So I guess what I wanted to ask you is why is diversity so important to you? Um, diversity of, of, of all, um, of, in terms of all levels of diversity and wh why was it so important to you and, and why are you so passionate about it? Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, th thank you for saying that about making the space for it. That, mean, that means a huge, huge amount to me. Um, I think it's, I think it does come back to that really, I guess that really core belief I have that everybody, sh regardless of gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, should have an equal opportunity to, to, to have the life that they want to lead. Mm. And that, um, as I s said probably earlier on in my career I, and, and earlier on in my life more generally, I guess, I kind of, as you say, um, we do live in a, a a much uh, a world now where it is, um, I guess, more accepted that women will have senior roles and that um, people from different ethnic backgrounds shouldn't be directly discriminated against. You know that mm -hmm. probably if we went back two hundred years, it was a, a different world again, and there has been huge progress. So I think um, early on in my career, uh, early on, in, earlier on in my life, I guess I kind of didn't really. Um, I kind of thought, well, we probably are there, you know, there's discrimination laws, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then as I got older and was reflected a bit more, I kind of thought, but I actually just don't see that. As I said, you know, I, I became more aware of comments directed to me, particularly once I had children that mm. um, were, um, uh, you know, as I said, niggly, nothing nothing direct, but, you know, sort yeah. of niggly, niggly comments. Um, and And so I kind of thought, well, actually you know, despite all of this uh, change in society, it isn't a level playing field. If it were, then things would be more evenly distributed, I guess. <laughs> People would be more evenly distributed, I should say. Um, and, and so then as somebody who was, you know, at a point in her career where I could have those conversations, um, I, I really, really wanted to. Mm. Because, um, you know, you can see, it's a, it's a range of different, I mean, socioeconomic background is again another, uh, really big 
challenge for the profession as, as a whole, I think, yes. and society as a whole, that, you know, people don't necessarily have the same opportunities. And I, I guess I believe in the intrinsic value of every person, the fact that they should uh, be given those opportunities. And if we're not seeing that reflected in society more generally, then we need to be asking why. Mm. And those of us in positions that can influence need to be taking a, a strong lead on trying to address some of the, those more structural issues. Yeah. Um, the Remy Edo Lodge book, which I'm sure, you, well, I don't know if you've read it, but I, I certainly yeah. read that was a There were some light bulb moments in that for me in terms of the, the structures that exist regarding race. I think I was already uh, quite aware of from a female perspective. Um, and it's, it's not enough just to say, well, there's no active discrimination is illegal. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is. Jolly good. <laughs> that was a really important first step. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I don't live 200 years ago where it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but we need to, we need to be doing better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So so again, it comes back to that. I, I see a, a problem or a challenge, and I want to try and be part of a fixing it, a solution. Yeah. Um. And unless we're happy that uh, the the gender and race uh, proportions um, in our profession and in leadership roles is right and does reflect everyone having the same opportunity then um you know so that might be a view some people hold it's mm -hmm. not a view that i hold mm. um so i want to do something about it yeah so very much a problem solving there's a problem we need to fix it how do we do that yeah yeah yeah, like that. yeah. yeah. and i guess talking about it is hopefully well unless you talk about it you can't hope you can't hope to come to any solutions i guess Absolutely, absolutely. And it is having the conversations. And I think even I think what, what you did very well um, is bring the conversation to people who potentially would not have um, considered it a topic of conversation. Um, and so for some people that that meant that they they realized that there was a problem and, and kind of shared your 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 view and your passion to, to make a difference and for others it kind of it still didn't resonate with them but you still brought the conversation forward um which hadn't even been a conversation um previously so yeah that that's good yeah or, or had been a conversation i think the one thing you, as our cvs president you do is have a platform so conversations yes. that might have been i'm sure were happening in in pockets of people you're able yes. to amplify and yes. bring to a wider yeah, yeah. a wide audience yeah absolutely um, yeah so how about you in terms of moving forward i said uh, i think i like finding solutions yeah. <laughs> so so what do you feel as, as a as a black woman what do you think this kind of solutions we should be looking at are and and where can other people including me um do do more to support um, diversity in all of its in all of its forms. Yeah, What's your that's a on really that? that's a really good question. And I think if I had to simplify it to um, kind of the the way my mind feels that the solution where the solution lies, it's simply to make room. So it's simply um, to for people to be able to understand that sometimes you need to shift over and allow someone else to, the space to come into that um, okay. room, to that meeting, to that group, to that profession, professions. Um, it, sometimes it is just making room. Sometimes it is moving aside so that someone can can 
get into that role. So, you know, a lot of our leadership roles in, in terms of our professions, um, we're talking about leadership and, and, and management roles and, and, and spaces that really are not very diverse. And sometimes it takes someone to be able to, to say, well, I've occupied that space for a long time and I did it well. Let me mentor someone into that space so that they can they can occupy it as well. And I, I just reflect on my first chairing and had I not been given the opportunity to do that, I would have never put myself forward potentially for that role. I wouldn't have thought that I it was something that was in my skill set. Um, and having been given the opportunity and the tools I realized I was able to do it and do it very well. Um, and so th it, it's, it's really that. It's really trying to not just give people opportunities, but give them the opportunities and tools so that they could succeed. And that sometimes means mentoring and passing on information. Sometimes it means just creating extra space in a, a room for someone else. And, and again, giving them the tools to succeed, not just letting them get on with it and, and seeing if they sink or swim, but yeah, giving them opportunities. So for me, it, it is about making room. And I have been very privileged to be on council with quite a lot of quite a lot of people men and women um all white who have made room for me in spaces in committees in um conversations um i i could i could express myself and i could be i could develop myself and 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 you know, I am truly grateful to, to all of the people who I've met on my journey, but I certainly would say, um, you know, it, it has been both male and female, but people who have been in, in the position to look back at me and say, you could potentially do that. And, and I know, you know, I currently chair the practice standards group and it was Jackie Molyneux who again looked to me and, and thought that's something that I could have done. I wouldn't have put myself forward for it without um, her kind of looking to me and, and saying I think you'd be good at that so I think it's it's making room um for more people for more diverse people and uh, for more diverse thinking for more diverse um you know conversations and it is just making room for that and understanding that that diversity will will only have a positive impact on us all um yeah as a result so okay yeah so yeah I mean I Complete. That's so um, interesting to hear, and I completely agree with you that making sure we have all voices heard um, and space for all voices that, um, yeah, are not heard now, and we actually actively have to make space for that. Absolutely. So, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. it's been so lovely to chat to you. Yeah, and you. Um, and you. I really hope we can actually do it in person before too long. But it's been lovely to have yeah. a bit of time to to spend with you. Yes, yes, and you. I could speak to you for hours, but it's been amazing. So thank you for this. Thank you for the time. Yeah, no, thank you too. Thank you too. And um, I shall look forward to following your activities through through the year. But um, good yes. luck. Yeah, thank you. And we'll chat thank again you very soon. Much. All right. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye, Amanda. Bye. Thank you for listening to For The Record. Join us next time for more insights from underrepresented voices within the veterinary professions. If you would like to get involved in future episodes, please contact the RCVS Knowledge Archives team by email at archives at rcvsknowledge.org.